forgive me as I go and grab my notes real quick. Oh, excited. Give, give it up for the band because you know what? You know, they've done, they've done an amazing job. You know, Jake has done a great job leading. You know, obviously Derek has stepped down for a time. And it's not easy to kind of fill someone's role. And, and tonight, I mean, they've just did an excellent, excellent job. And, and I know worship isn't about people. But the Bible says to give credit where it is due. And they did an amazing job. And so, Ben, thank you guys. So you give it up for the awesome. And then if I, if I, could, uh, I just want to address one or two things before I get going. If someone could give me some water, that would be uh, that would be great. And, and I was going to get water during worship. But me and Eric have been talking about And I don't want to call anybody out. But typically what, what's been happening over the like, we see... Um, it, you bring a bottle of water or something, but a lot of times people will get up and like it's this constant flow of traffic uh, to the water fountain, and that that's just that's, we don't need that. And so I really wanted to do that, but I was like, man, I just talked to Aaron about how we don't like when people go to the water fountain, and my mouth's getting really dry, and so I decided to to refrain from doing that. But uh, Sherry's going to give us some water; it's going to be going to be good. So I hadn't spoken in uh, in three weeks, I think. I kind of took a mini sabbatical. A uh, little mini, uh, I wouldn't call it a vacation because I've been up all night with my my, my baby Jackson and uh, you guys, have, we brought him and introduced to you. He's not here today. He is here in spirit with a little little slobber on my shirt. Uh, and so, uh, But he's doing great and I'm excited just to be back uh, and speaking to you guys. And so we're in this series, Ashes uh, to Fire. And we're following along with what the, the church is doing. Uh, and, and kind of following along with what the teaching pastors there have taught. And so some of this will be a little bit of uh, maybe a recap, but uh, nonetheless, we have some good stuff for you tonight. And my hope is that you have journeyed with us in, in this idea of Lent and this 40 days of oh, ice, too. This is, this is special. This is special. This is, this is good stuff. So. Excuse me when I, you know, Julie, I'm always asking you, Julie, how'd I do? And she's like, it was great, but you, you're terrible at getting drinks of water. You need to figure out like, better better intervals when you get your water. And so I apologize for that. I'm just not good at it. Um, and so, but my hope is that you guys have journeyed with us through this Ashes of Fire series. And, the, you know, the church's website has been posting these devotionals and kind of prayer reflections. And I, I hope you've been able to participate in that. And I hope that you've been taking something and you've been kind of journeying through the Gospels with me uh, and with Element over this series because uh, if you've done that, you, you'll get a lot more out of it. Rather than, I mean, if you come to Wednesday service and you're like, okay, what, you know, recap me from last week because I haven't been in Scripture and I haven't been really focusing on God this season, uh, then you're going to really miss out. And so my hope is that you've been kind of studying, and you've been going along with us, and so you can dive right in uh, with me. But we started off uh, the six-week series, we're in week five, one, one week left next Wednesday, and the very first week, we, we started off with kind of Jesus' inauguration of his ministry, and we started off with his uh, baptism, and we talked about we talked about Jesus being uh, baptized, and that kind of him going into the wilderness and being tempted, and what that looks like, and uh, we're kind of, uh, over the past few weeks, we've gone through Jesus' ministry, and we've looked at various texts and different things, and we've had some great teachers kind of step up. And, and this week, we're kind of towards the end of Jesus' uh, ministry, and we're going to kind of take a look at the, how it applies to our lives. We're going to take a look at the kind of the last week of his life and, and what that looked like, and uh, if you know anything about the kind of the church calendar, next Friday 
uh, is Good Friday. And so I want to invite you all. Good Friday kind of is uh, commemorates or we reflect on Jesus' death. Um, a lot of some people, if you don't know, you might think Easter is celebrating Jesus' death, but it's not. It's celebrating his resurrection, which is uh, what makes Jesus so amazing. But uh, Good Friday is kind of this more somber, it's more of a serious uh, uh, mood, I, if you will. But I want to invite each and every one of you, don't miss Good Friday service. That goes along with everything we've been learning and everything we've been doing. And so we don't have element that Friday, uh, next Friday. But uh, we'll be at the church. So don't just think, oh, no element, we're not doing anything. It's Good Friday service that's really important in the kind of life of this season. And so I don't want you to miss that. And then again, Easter. Uh, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday uh, is Easter. And we're going to begin even Tuesday. We're going to begin uh, kind of preparing and setting things up in here. And so make sure you guys are here Sunday morning, whether it's at the church or at this venue or North Campus. Uh, and it, it's, if you guys don't know, you have to get tickets. Uh, for that, they don't cost anything, but it just helps us know who's going to show up. Uh, and I don't know if I mentioned you guys, but it the 900 tickets have been given out for um, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service over at the church, and then also 400 tickets have already been given out here, and that's blown me away. I, I was—I don't want to say I was skeptical, but I was like, I don't—I hope that there's not like 50 people here. That would be kind of a bust. Uh, but there's already 400 people committed to being in this room. It's going to be awesome. And so don't miss Easter. Okay. And so I guess that was one of those times I could have said Easter and then drank, but uh, my mom got thirsty. All right. and so we're going to look at the passage tonight, the last week of Jesus' life. We're going to be in John uh, chapter 12. And what's happening in this uh, context in the scripture is uh, Jesus begins to speak about his death. He begins to kind of change direction in what he's been preaching and he begins to take what people are thinking and, and kind of change it a little bit. And so, uh, how many of you brought your Bibles? Because I, I hope, man, uh, so we got some adults. Uh, you guys are going to struggle because we're going to we're gonna be reading out of here a lot. Uh, and so, um, man, so if, if share with the person next to you because we're going to be looking a lot at these scriptures and I want you guys to be able to follow along. We're going to kind of follow along chronologically. And, uh, you know, I apologize if you haven't needed your Bible in the past. I think generally you do. Um, but, <laughs> um, man, make sure you guys bring your Bibles. It's incredibly important. Uh, generally, and I don't want to call anyone out, but generally if they're not here, then they're probably not being used at home. I don't know. Uh, but, man, you've you got to bring it because we're going to be going through it. It's extremely important, okay? And so uh, make sure your Bibles are here. I don't care if you've got a smartphone. Download the Bible and follow along. It's fine. I don't care. But you need it. You need a Bible. You need a text. You need a scripture. That's going to help us out. All right? And so um, we're going to spend most of our time in this uh, scripture passage, John chapter 12, verse 20 through 26. So what's going to happen is I'm going to read it. I'm going to discuss it very briefly. And then I'm going to spend a, a majority of my time giving you the context and setting up what's going on. Okay, and so we're going to take a look at what was going on at the time Jesus was crucified. The time Jesus said these words. Because a lot of times you, you've probably heard these words. You've been in church uh, a little bit of time, you've probably heard what Jesus said. And it's like, okay. But it's a whole other thing to, to be able to put yourself in, in that context, in that time uh, in history, and know what's going on. So we're going to do that. So I, I want to read with you guys John 12. Verse 20 through 26. 
It says, Now some Greeks were among those who had gone up to worship at the feast. So the, those approached Philip, who was from uh, Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, these were Jesus' disciples, and they went and told Jesus. Jesus replied, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the solemn truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The one who loves his life destroys it. The one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And Jesus is talking about his death here. And this is kind of shocking to the people that are listening. And he goes on in the next verse. He says, Now my soul is greatly distressed, and what should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour? No. But for this very reason I have come to this hour. Father, glorify me in your name. So Jesus is coming to the city of Jerusalem, and a lot of things are going on. At this current time, he's come in as kind of a celebrity. Okay? I want you to think of you know, how we talk about and gossip about and, and in the news there's all these channels about famous people and we, we want to know everything that's going on about these people. And that's kind of the status that Jesus has in this point in his ministry. I mean, people are talking about him. He is feeding people. Miracles are happening. People are being raised from the dead. And people are talking about him a ton. And they're getting to know who this Jesus is and people want to know. He's very popular at this point. And Jesus, these people have an opinion of Jesus, and, and Jesus in these words, he's really challenging them and who they think he is. What the people say he is, he's challenging. He says, you know what? I'm, I'm probably not who you say I am. Guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. And, and that's kind of shocking to these people. And he uses this agricultural term of, of wheat falling and dying and being planted in the ground. And most people back then would have probably figured out what he was talking about because most people would plant, they would have gardens. It's not like today where you have supermarkets where you go to Myers and they have whatever you want. You actually had to have some sort of skill back then and kind of either tending flock or growing plants. So the people back then would have understood what was going on. But what I, what I want to do is kind of go back in context and I want to look at the passage before this as Jesus talks to these Greek people as these people who weren't uh, necessarily Jews came and they said, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus shocks him by saying, hey, guess what? I'm going to die. And I want to look at the context, okay? And so we're not going to read the entire uh, chapter of uh, chapter 12, but I want to read a couple key verses, verse 1 and verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, you're following along, I want you guys to read with me. And so we're going to be John chapter 12, verse 1. says this. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom he had raised from the dead. That's verse 1. So this is what happened six days before he gets there. He goes, and he goes to where Lazarus lives, and if you know anything about Lazarus, it's where he lived, uh, raised him from the dead, and this gets people excited. Jesus shows up. If you can imagine, I mean, people being raised from the dead doesn't happen every, every day, and so if someone did something amazing... And that person was around, it's a big deal, okay? And so then in verse 12, it says this. 
We skip, we skip a dinner in there. It's not important to what we're talking about. So skip that. Down to verse 5. It says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So Jesus, and we're talking about this passage, he's coming into Jerusalem. This is the last week of his life. And the crowd that was around him when he rose Lazarus from the dead hears that he's coming, and there's a big buzz and excitement going on in the city of Jerusalem. Okay? And in verse 12, it says, the, large, uh, the next day, the large crowd had come to the feast. Now, the feast was this annual celebration that they called Passover. Okay? And, and, and I want to explain Passover because it's extremely important to the context of Easter and what's going on. And so, back in, in, in Jewish times, they had certain holidays throughout the year. Just like we have certain holidays, we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate you know, 4th of July, and we celebrate, some people celebrate St. Patrick's Day, and, and whatever. We have all these different President's Day, and Martin Luther King Day, and all these different things. And so these Jewish people had this, this uh, commemoration feast, or meal, of Passover. And what Passover was, was the commemoration of what Jesus did for the Jews in, in Egypt. And if you can... Uh, this wasn't like something that happened you know, 100 or 200 years ago. This was something they were commemorating that happened about 12 to 1400 years, depending on what date and, and what scholars think. But in between 1200 and 1400 years ago, this feast was, uh, God said, He made a law, I want you to commemorate this feast. And it was the, the, the uh, celebration of what God did in saving them from the hands of the Egyptians. And if you remember the story back in Exodus, guys are with me, uh, they, uh, the Jews were slaves in Egypt, and Egypt and, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians had rejected God, and they had said, you know, we don't care about your God, we don't care about uh, the Jewish people, we're going to take them as slaves, and we're going to oppress them, and we're going to do with them what we want, and the story goes that uh, God heard the cries of the, the Israelites, and he, he came and he, he saved them. And if you remember the story, there were ten plagues that God sent upon uh, the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And you can remember some of the plagues. They were pretty crazy. They were, I, I couldn't imagine living back then. But, you know, plagues of, uh, of locusts and, and frogs and people got sick and had boils. And there was plagues of darkness and um, cattle dying, and river turning to blood and pretty crazy stuff. You know, you got to think, man, if God's a loving God, why would he, he do all that? you got to remember, these were, this was time after time again. He was giving the Egyptians a chance. He was saying, look, you know, turn, release my people, everything will be okay, I'll forgive you. And they didn't want to. And so finally he gets to this last plague, the tenth plague, and, and, and Jesus says, okay, this is what's going to happen. Since you haven't released my people, what's going to happen is every firstborn male in Egypt will die. That's, that's pretty rough. I, mean, I, I look at that, and my, my first instinct is, man, how could a loving God say, we're going to kill innocent children? But again, you, you, have, to, you, know, you have to understand that th these were people who rejected God, that God gave time and time again to, to, to come and reconcile, and they don't want to. And, and, and God also gives them a way out. God says, okay, Israelites, but... So you don't have to kind of go through this plague. This is what I'm going to do. What I want you to do is I want you to find a, a lamb, a sheep, 
and I want you to slaughter it. And if you slaughter, and, and, and by the way, it has to be a perfect lamb. It has to be a lamb without, you know, it can't be like a, you know, well, we'll use that one, the one that's kind of got three legs, or we've got mad cow disease and it's beating its head against the wall. Not the crazy lamb. But get a good lamb, and I want you to kill it, and I want you to splatter the blood on your doorpost. Now, that's, that's weird. Now, let's be honest. If we were splattering blood on our, our, our doorposts, nowadays, we probably get like arrested and people will call the police like, hey, these crazy guys are splattering blood. But that's what God wanted to do to kind of signify their faith. Saying, God, you know, my faith is in you. I am coming into this covenant relationship with you. You are our savior. And there's no way we can avoid the death of our firstborn son except for you. And so what happens is uh, they would do this. And that's why they call it the Passover. If the death angel came in that plague. And if the blood was there, he would pass over those, uh, those homes and, and the son would live. And so this feast. There's a long, long story to tell you. This feast was to commemorate what God did in Egypt 1,200 years ago when he saved them and delivered them, not only in that plague, but from, from uh, slavery and began to kind of uh, define Israel as a nation uh, from, that point going, from that point going up. Okay? And so that's what the Passover celebration is all about. And this is the context of Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. Okay, and so what's going on is, is there's this festival of people coming into Jerusalem. There's lots of people there. Much like in our country, it, you know, St. Patty's Day, lots of people go to Chicago and they turn the river green. And people all crowd there for a celebration. And, and, and uh, you know, in Louisiana, they have Mardi Gras and people crowd there in, in lots of places. But in New Year's, they go to New York City. And I'm not saying that the festival looked like those, like Mardi Gras does. But what I'm saying is people from all over would gather in that one place to celebrate. They would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And there were tons and tons of people. And this is significant because you go back and if you're following along in Scripture, in verse 12, 1, it says, On the sixth day before Passover, Jesus entered in Jerusalem. So this is when he comes in. And this is significant because the Monday before Passover... This is when the priest would select the lambs to be sacrificed for the celebration. This is when they would kind of gather together and, and select the, the lambs that they would use for this feast. And it's not just a coincidence that Jesus comes at that time. It's very symbolic of Jesus saying, as I come, as I'm about to die, I am going to be the new sacrificial lamb. My sacrifice is going to cover the sacrifice of all of you people in what you're doing in the celebration. I am the new sacrifice. And my sacrifice will fill, fulfill the requirements over the Passover feast. And so at this point, it's the last week of Jesus' life. And historians say at this time, in this feast, in this festival, there were about 250,000 animals that were sacrificed at Passover, 250,000. That's a quarter of a million. So you can imagine uh, the blood spilling out of the temple. And, and I know that's kind of gruesome. But it's not like today where we have, you know, basic manufacturing. And, you know, we, we can go to the supermarket and we don't ever see blood on our meat because it's been packaged and cleaned up really nice. And, and we, we have 
you know, packaging facilities that are in a commercial part of town, and then it's driven on a truck and, and laid nice, and we buy it half-cooked and, 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 and that kind of thing. And so 250,000 animals in one city all at once being sacrificed was probably pretty crazy. And I don't know about you, but if I didn't have a job back then, I would be a, a lamb salesman. That's what I would do. I mean, because that's got to be good business. What's going on in this... So this is kind of what's going on in this, this town at the time. And, and, and this is important because... And I told you about the animals because... Uh, they also say, the historians say that one lamb would be good enough for about 10 people, a family of 10. And so if there are 250,000 animals that were being sacrificed over this time, and they were about 10 people each they represented, there's about 2.5 to 3 million people around the city at this time. So I say that to say, this is, this is what's going on when Jesus is about to go into his crucifixion and, and, and into Jerusalem. That weekend wasn't a big coincidence, but it was this time of Passover where lots and lots of people were going to be there. And at this point in Jesus' life, things are coming to this culmination. It's coming to this point where he's being ready. His mission is becoming complete. And he had, at this point, he had already done his last public miracle. He had gone and had raised his best friend Lazarus from the dead. And this was a big deal. We talked about that in verse 12. One, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And this is incredible. I mean, how many people have ever seen someone raised from the dead? Okay, none of us. And so... Think about this. What happened when Jesus did this in the culmination of his ministry? He raises Lazarus from the dead. And this is a big deal. I mean, people have already been talking about Jesus for a couple years. But now, I mean, his fame is like out of control. It's like Tebow mania was here. You know, you turn on the news and all you should be talking about here was Tim Tebow. But this was back then. Everyone was talking about Jesus. And this made the religious leaders really, 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 really upset. I mean, these people were hated Jesus. And so he does this, this miracle where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And basically what happens is the religious leaders get so ticked off a week before he comes into Jerusalem that Jesus basically has to go into hiding. He's basically an enemy of the state. And the religious leaders say, we're going to put a bounty on his head. We have to kill this guy. And so Jesus draws, draws away. And so you have this guy who everybody's talking about. Everybody is, you know, they're on their Twitter accounts and Facebooks and posting things about how awesome Jesus is. And they're blogging about him. And they're doing all these things. And Jesus is kind of secluded. He's, he's fearing for his, his life at this point. Okay? And it's with this context that we get to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Okay? We got a couple million people. We got his last miracle. We got everyone who was in this other town and saw Lazarus raised from the dead talking about Jesus. We got the religious leaders ticked off. People are talking. Uh, the, the dinner conversation everywhere is about Jesus. And we get in and we go back to 12.12, which I've read a couple times. It says, the next day a large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So this guy, who had just raised someone from the dead, was coming 
to the town where two and a half million people were gathered. People hear about this, and it goes viral. I mean, it goes nuts. People start talking about it. It's in the news. People are getting ready to see Jesus. And thousands and thousands of people show up to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And so we go on, and that's why I really wish you had your Bibles, because we're going to kind of look at his entry in the very next verse. Verse 13 reads like this. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosea, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. You've probably heard this before. You've heard that people have shouted Hosanna and they, the way the palm branches. We've probably seen in children's church the felt board where Jesus is on a donkey and you know he, he does this and he's got this big smile on his face and everything's good and everyone's like, Ooh, you know, and that's kind of the picture of what we have going on. But what Hosanna means, and, and how many know, does, I'm sure some of you know what Hosanna means, but I'll, I'll tell you. Hosanna means, Johnny, you know what it means? Six. Yeah. Wait, is your seventh grader right? Wait, be seventh grader. Your seventh grader knows. Because he, he was probably in 56 in the mystery, where he had a great teacher. But <laughs> it means save us. So, the, so we see Jesus, we got people waving palm branches. Just, we don't do that nowadays, that'd be kind of weird, but that's fine. And they're saying Hosanna, and they're saying, save us. Save us. They're yelling at you. got thousands of people. Save us. And this isn't save us how me and you know. This isn't, hey, save us from our sins. This is, hey, Jesus, we, we're kind of, you know, we're under Roman rule. And we've been waiting and we've read scriptures. And we know that we're supposed to have this Messiah that's going to change everything. And he's going to set up this kingdom. And you're it. You're going to set up this kingdom. And and they were under Roman rule at that time. And, and, and Rome wasn't as bad as Egypt, where Egypt was, you know, the Egyptians were whipping them and, and they were slaves. Uh, under Rome, Rome was smart. That's why their empire was so big. But they let them have their own court. They let the Jews have their own, um, you know, their own uh, kind of governing system and religious leaders. They were able to practice what they wanted. But you have to think, if you're the Jewish people, even though, like, you're not slaves, if you believe that your God is the God of the universe... You probably are thinking like, hey, we should be like the world. We should be the people who are in charge of other people. We shouldn't have people over us. And so they're saying, man, Jesus, save us. You're the one. You're, you're going to be this mighty military ruler. If you raise Lazarus from the dead, what, you know, we, we'll form an army. And if our guys die, you raise them up. Ha! We can't lose. Let's do that. That's what they're thinking. That's what they're saying as they yell, Hosanna. And they're waving these palm branches back and forth. And I'm assuming a palm branch is big. I've waved, I guess I have waved them before. We did it in Bahamas. And we get these big palm branches and we pretended like we were, you know, we were Jewish people back uh, you know, entering into Jerusalem. And uh, so, I, funnily, I have done that. I was kind of saying, like, nobody does that anymore, but I did two years ago. So, um, so anyway, they're waving these these palm branches, and this is much like this is much like we would do. You know, if we were doing something political, you know, we, and we would have a rally, we would rave, you know, wave red, white, and blue flags, and we would kind of wave, you know, like pictures with eagles on it or something, or you know, the flag with the stars and stuff like that. Well, a palm branch for them was this kind of symbol, uh, you know, symbolic of national pride. 
Uh, later on, when they tried to revolt against Rome, uh, years after Jesus was alive, they had their own coins and they had palm branches on them. So this was like kind of like politically symbolic of their identity. And they're waving these palm branches, much like we would ra- you know, wave our, our country's colors. Saying like, we want you to be this military ruler. We want your agenda, Jesus. Like, we're glad you're here, and this is what we want you to do. This was what's going on in verse 13. And so they go on. And I'm curious to know what Jesus' reactions would have been like. Because like I said, I, I know the felt board from Sunday school where Jesus has got this big smile on his face and like it's a big parade. But if that's not really why Jesus has come, I, I have to imagine he's a little bit perplexed on his face. Like, I don't know if that's what he wanted with all this attention. And I think the next verse gives us some, some insight to that. Verse 14 says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written. Verse 15, do not be afraid, people of Zion. Look, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And that's a direct prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. And it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the king would come riding on a donkey. And we have this picture of Jesus riding on a donkey and I guess the people there didn't get the hint because Jesus was coming in more, you know, humility. Not saying, hey, I'm going to be a warrior king. Back then, especially the Romans who would have been in the city watching this would have been like, this parade's kind of a joke. So when the Romans put a parade on, they would do what's called a Roman triumph. And if a Roman general came into a city and he was, you know, on a military conquest, if he had gained territory and killed over 5,000 men, they would do this big parade and they would... Uh, you know, all the, they would go on this, you know, his horse that he would ride would just be this war horse with armor and it would be brushed and, and, and you know, pretty and maybe not pretty, but tough, pretty, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Masculine. Masculine, like, it would be this majestic, as a better word than pretty, you know. I struggle to talk, you know, I call Jackson beautiful sometimes. I'm like, ah, it's in between, okay. Julia Trump, you know, I call him handsome, but pretty, I'm like, that's not okay. So anyway, talking about this horse, no, not my son. You know, I love him very much. He's out of my mind. Um, we got this, this, the, you know, that's what would happen. Is they would come and, you know, military leaders would do that. And, and, but if a military leader was coming or a king was coming and his purpose was humility or to make peace with somewhere, he would come riding in on a donkey. And so Jesus' attitude isn't, hey, you know, I'm going to take over and I'm going to save people by taking over Rome. It's, hey, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be peaceful, and I'm going to die. That's kind of what he was coming to, to do and what he was coming to say. And he's trying to, I guess, help the people understand, hey, we're not going to save the world by force. We're not going to take over Rome and just make everybody become a Christian. The way you're thinking we should do things is, is wrong. What I'm going to do is I'm going to die. And you go in in verse 17 as we follow along with Jesus and his entry into Jerusalem. It says, So the crowd who had been with him when he called Lazarus out from the tomb and raised him from the dead were continuing to testify about it. So not only does he have this crowd that was there welcoming him, the crowd that was there a week ago when he raised Lazarus from the dead is around and they're just continuing to stoke the fire. They're continuing to raise this hype about Jesus. They're continuing to tell everybody, like, Jesus is amazing. You should have seen it. I was there. 
It, it, was, it was incredible. He just went up to this tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And this dude wrapped up, who had been dead for a couple days, came forth. We didn't believe it. We said, like, hey, Jesus, don't raise him from the dead. He's going to stink. Like, it's going to be gross. Like, don't go in there. And Jesus was like, God, I'm sorry these guys don't believe. I believe. But so they will. Let's, let's do this. And, and, and Lazarus is raised from the dead. And people are talking about this. I mean, this is, you know, we read scripture sometimes, and it's hard for us to put ourselves in that moment. But, I mean, there are thousands of people. The momentum is, is going crazy. People are talking about what's going on. There's so much excitement around. It says, Because they had heard that Jesus had performed this miraculous sign, the crowd went out to meet him. More people started coming. Thus the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you can do nothing. Or you see, you know, we see that we can do nothing. Look, the world has run after him. And the word begins to keep spreading and spreading. The momentum is building. And cele- you know, his celebrity status is being just skyrocketing. And the Pharisees are getting upset and they know if this gets any bigger they're going to be out of a job. No one's going to listen to them anymore. They're going to start following Jesus. And this is where we get back and this is kind of what I want to close with this, this section of scripture that I read to you at the very beginning. That was the setup for what's going on. Two to three million people in the city. The celebration of the sacrifice necessary for Jesus to save their sins. All the popularity in the world. The people telling Jesus, hey, you're going to be our king. We're going to follow you and this is what you want, we want you to do for us. This is the setting where Jesus' words come forth. Verse 20 says, some Greeks were among those who had gone up to worship at the feast. They approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, requested, Sir, we would like to meet Jesus. This is like, I don't know if you know of anybody famous, but say if, if I knew somebody famous, like if I knew, you know, Tim Tebow, you know, I'll just keep using him as an example. If he was my best friend, you would all be like, Dude, Pastor Matt, next time Tim Tebow comes over, you've got to invite me over. I really would like to hang out with him. Because that's what we do as, as people. We kind of, we don't know why. He's famous, so that's got to be cool to hang out with him, right? I, mean, I don't know if you would do that. I would do that. If there's a famous person, you know, I wouldn't just ignore him. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to know famous people. And so these Greeks are interested in Jesus. They, they want to come. And, and the funny thing is, these Greeks are introducing the story. And there's no really point. They, they show up. They don't even, John doesn't even record what they asked Jesus. He just says the Greeks come and Jesus immediately says in verse 23, I believe it is, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Who knows why the Greeks are even in the story except for we can research and we can look and we can study and, and we see Jesus comes to this climax, this completeness of his mission. It's like, I haven't just come for a certain amount of people. I haven't come so that, you know, a few Jews would be saved and they would get it, but I've come for everybody. I've come not just for this group of people, but for, for Gentiles, for people 
every person in the world, and it's come to the point now where more people are interested in me, and I haven't done it by just spreading my fame and telling everyone how awesome I was. People are interested in who they say I am. And there's this completeness about it, and Jesus says, all right, it's time. This is it. It's the last week of my life. It's time for me to be glorified. And with the backdrop of two, three million people, the feast, these people chanting for Jesus to be their king and their savior, he says this. Verse 24, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The one who loves his life destroys it, and the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And Jesus says to these people, and to this crowd, you want me to just to, to make things easy for you, and you want me to set up this kingdom, and you want me to... To, to have this earthly kingdom, but that's not the plan. The plan is for me to die. And he says, look, if I'm like a grain, if I remain on the stock and live and live for myself, if I do what I want to do, what good is that? Grain is no good floating in the wind alive. It's only good if it falls off, dies, gets buried in the ground, and reproduces more life. He says, I hope you guys understand that. Guess what? I'm not going to... And these people are going to be like, are you kidding me? Jesus, you just... Like, you're more popular than anyone right now. Your popularity is at an all-time high. People want to kill you, but they can't because the crowd loves you. We're singing your name in the street, and we're singing Hosanna, save us. Everyone's got your back, dude. Don't, don't die. Like, let's do this. Let's, you know, go shoot fireballs at the Romans, and, and let's conquer them. That'd be, that's my plan. That'd be sweet. Well, I mean, are you kidding me? You're gonna you know, what? Your plan is so stupid. That's the worst plan I've ever heard. You're gonna die. But he says you guys don't get it. The one who lives loves his own life destroys it. But the one who hates his life in the world guards it for eternal. And tonight, the application, that's not just for Jesus. Jesus wasn't saying that, hey, me for myself, I have to die, but you, you can do what you want. No. He's saying that for each and every one of us. See, we like to think that, yeah, God died and great for him, but that seems a little harsh. But the truth of the matter is, me and you have to die as well. And this doesn't mean, don't, don't, don't. You know, this isn't a physical death. This isn't a, hey, I hate my life and, 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 and I'm not happy with life. This isn't what he's talking about. He, what he's talking about is you have to hate your own plans. You have to hate, hey, you know, those people said, hey, our plan is to go do this. And Jesus was like, no, that's not it. We die to ourselves. We die to what we want to do. We die to our desires in life, what we want. And so tonight, I want you guys to begin to think about what is it in your life 
that you hold on to so much? What is it? What are your plans that, hey, I want to do this? Maybe it's, I don't know, a girlfriend or boyfriend that you just love so much. And you're like, you know it's not a relationship that glorifies God, but you're like, you know what? I, I, it makes me happy and I want to do it. And so I, I, I still believe in Jesus, but uh, and, and I still want to say, hey, God, save us, but I want you to do it my way. And that's what we tend to do. We say, hey, hey, Jesus, come into my life and here's how you can fix it. Like, come into my life and then help me do this, this, and this. No, that's not how it works. It's not, hey, Jesus, come along, I invite you into my life, and I need you to do this, this, and this for me. Uh-uh. No, that's not how it works. What is, what is it in your life? See, if we get through this Ashes to Fire series, and, and we're not different, and we haven't said, okay, this is what God's calling me to lay down, this is how I'm, I'm going to become closer, this is how I'm going to get more of my life to Jesus, then we've wasted our time. But this is exactly what Jesus came to do and what he came to say. You guys, you have to die to yourself. And the tragedy would be a Euchre who says, ah, we love Jesus a little bit, but not enough to sell everything out for him. And I want to encourage you guys tonight. And I want to challenge you. And we have one week left. We're going to close this thing up. What is it in your life? And I've been praying, you know, God is hopefully speaking to you guys. And you know what that is. I remember sitting, you know, in your seat and coming to service after service. And there were things in my life that I was holding on to. And the pastor would be like, uh, you know, I, I want you just to, to search and think about it for a few minutes. I get to think about it for a few minutes. I knew. You guys know. You guys know what your habits are. You guys know what your desires are. You guys know what your hopes are that are contrary to God. I don't have to ask you to, to think about it. But I want to read you kind of this warning. Because sadly, the same people that were singing Hosanna in the streets to Jesus, the same exact people that are saying, yeah, God, you're awesome, are the same exact people a couple days later that were yelling, crucify him. He doesn't fit. He's not who we want him to be. He doesn't fit into our plans. So, so kill him. Get rid of him. Same people who said, yeah, God, we, we, you're our Savior, a couple days later changed their minds. The same people that watched, they saw Lazarus raised from the dead. I mean, it, there was no question about who God was. They saw it. At the end of chapter 12, there's a whole section that says, most of the people do not believe in Jesus. And it concludes with this verse. For they love the praise from men more than the praise from God. And that's sobering. It wasn't an issue of whether or not they thought Jesus was to... They, they might have known. Yeah, we know Jesus can do some pretty awesome stuff. 
even though he's awesome, I can't commit to giving that stuff up. I love it too much. I love my plan better than his plan. I love hanging out with that guy or girl. I love hanging out with my certain friends. I love watching the movies that I watch. I love talking the way I do. Because people accept me for that. And I'm not willing to give that up. And so, I'll still come to church and, and, and do that. But that's not the way it works, guys. And I want to challenge you guys tonight. It's a little bit more serious of a message. Man, but I'm... I'm I don't want to just go through the motions with you guys in our youth ministry. I want this idea of ashes to fire to be a reality. And if we're going to catch fire, we have to come to the point in our lives where we can say, this stuff is, is, is putting our fire out. This stuff in our lives that we're not willing to let go. If we continue to, to love the praise of men before the praise of God, then we'll go nowhere. We will not be a fire. And so I'm challenging you guys tonight. You know what it is. I don't have to give you five minutes to go to your corner and pray about what it is. You know. I sat in your seat. And my challenge to you tonight and over you know, this series that you begin to, to pray. You begin to let those things go. That fire and that passion for what God did would begin to burn. And I'm not going to call you guys up in an altar call. I'm going to pray and dismiss you. But if you know what that thing is and you want to get rid of it, I would challenge you to tell somebody, have them hold you accountable, someone you trust, if it's a friend, great, if it's an adult, tell them, say, hey, this is what's been going on in my life, and, and, and I want to die to it. I want to kill it. I want to bury it so that I can produce fruit. Because guess what? You will produce no fruit. You will be useless in the kingdom of God unless you die. That's harsh. That's Jesus' words, not mine. So I challenge you, don't just walk out of this place. Tell somebody. Tell somebody what you want to get rid of. Let's pray. God, we'll come before you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you didn't follow the plan of people, God. You surely could have. There were times where you even prayed yourself, to, should I escape this? Should I escape torture? Should I escape a brutal death? No, that was your purpose. God, you were put on this earth to die. God, and we owe it of ourselves nothing less than to do the same in return. And to any preacher, any gospel that says you require anything less than that as a liar, and is preaching a gospel that isn't real, that is fake, is deluded, has no power in it. God, you've called each and every one of us to die to our own desires so that we can follow you. God, your word says that we are to mortify our flesh, to kill it. Not just once in a decision on Wednesday night, but each and every day. I pray that this youth ministry would be a ministry where when we wake up, we hit our knees. We say to the Father, God, help us kill our own desires. Help us fill our hearts with your desires to accomplish your purposes. God, and it's not a message that ends in just, just being upset and being down and dark and harsh, God. But your word says 
Who serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. But it says this, my father will honor the one who serves me. God, you declared and you promised in your word that it wouldn't, we wouldn't just die and be alone and it would be rough. You didn't, you didn't promise that it would be uh, a terrible thing, that we wouldn't we'd be alone, that you wouldn't be with us. God, when we die to ourselves, we get the fullness of who you are. When we die to ourselves, that's when we truly, truly get to live. So it's not a, 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 a harsh thing, it's not a dark thing, it's a great thing. It's what truly makes us alive. God, and you promised that you would honor us when we die to ourselves. That we would bear much fruit when you died on that cross. You didn't stay dead. You rose again, and that's what we celebrate. That's what we want for this ministry. That as we die to our own desires, make hurt initially. But as we begin to die to that desire, new desires are birthed in us. And we begin to become people who live for your purposes, and we see miracles, and we see people coming to know you. We see hope, we see love, we see faith, and we see these fruits of your spirit just alive and well in our church. God, you do require a lot of us. But I wouldn't want to serve any other God, a God who required nothing. God, I'm happy to give myself to you. You're worth it. That we love you. We commit to dying to ourselves as individuals, as a church, as a youth ministry, as element. We commit to doing that. We commit to dying to ourselves so that we can follow after you, so that we can be planted in the ground and we can be fruitful. And we love you. And we ask all this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.